We are in the book of Colossians. We are working through a series called Prioritize. And uh, these last few weeks have been rocking us as a body. Uh, we've been working through Colossians 2 and 3 in the last few weeks here and uh, learning simply this, what that song says, God loves us. He, he's reached out to us. In fact, we don't stand in a position where we have to earn his love. We're in a position where we already are loved. Trust in him with all you've got. And you stand in an awesome, saved position. Amen? And that's where we've been with Colossians chapters 2 and 3. And, and today we're actually extending that to the next step. It's how do we teach this? How do we continue what we're learning and make sure that it grows within our body? And the answer is within the family. That's the answer. Valuing family is a big part of the solution. I wrote this down, just a few words from a couple of different books I was reading this week. The family unit, God's primary learning center. Think about that for a moment. God's primary learning center. Now, the United States has set it up where the school is a primary learning center. In fact, maybe even the church, like let's toss the family out into the world and let everybody else do it. But actually, the family unit is where we're supposed to be learning the most about our God. And I'd put it this way. The family is not just biological. The family is not just sociological, you know, where we teach each other how to play nice and how to care for each other. The family is theological. The family unit, deeply theological. As we get together with our families, we need to be training in statements like this. God moves. God reigns. What's the bigger picture in the agenda for our almighty king? And then what's the role of our family in that? Our God, he has a story. And we play a role in that story. That's our job as parents, to be teaching into the family unit, as husbands and wives to be challenging each other and saying, what's our role in God's bigger picture? Amen? Yeah, that's where we need to head with the family. And it's a quick reminder for us to go, am I doing that? Or am I all about getting food in them and getting them to the soccer games? You know what I mean? It's, it's easy to get very busy with life. And there's nothing wrong with eating and there's nothing wrong with soccer. But there's everything wrong with it if it takes the place of teaching them about our almighty God. Look at Deuteronomy 6. I mean, you don't have to turn there. Just think about it. Deuteronomy 6, the challenge is whatever you're doing throughout the entirety of the day, whether you're up or down or eating or whatever, make sure you're bringing the message of God. That's what it means for the family to be theological. Well, how do we do that? How do we make sure that our family unit is living that way? Glad you asked. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to the end, and we're going to go through valuing the family. we got our ushers coming forward, and they're going to have some Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? We're going to go verse by verse through this. So just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. How do we make sure that we live within our family, valuing the family, remembering this? It's not to be loved, but because we are loved, right? Our security in Christ and then how do we live that out within the family? All right, here we go. First point. Wives and husbands reflect the respect and love we see in our God. Wives and husbands reflect the respect and love we see in our great God. All right? Let's just get started. Verse 18. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
short and direct, and he starts with husbands and wives, all right? So let's break it down. Wives, this word here literally says women, all right? And so contextually, you have to decide, is it married women? Is it single women? Is it all women? How do we know? And, and so you look at the balance of it. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the word there used is not just men, but it is actually Husband, spouse, okay? So you go back to the first word, and we now know to lock it down to, it is married women or wives, all right? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. All right, so I'm going to walk through this phrase backwards to front, all right? So we're going to start at the end here. As is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. This is like true to God, true to his whole counsel, fitting in the Lord. Not sinning. Nothing about wrongness, but all about holiness, embracing that God is over everything, and in fact, over all of mankind, and in fact, over man, and and then we're also taught that then the husband is leading that home. And so if I'm going to submit to God as head of all, then I need to submit to his order, all right? So the is as is fitting in the Lord means, Lord, may this all be about you in the end. Let's not ever lose sight, as is fitting in the Lord is where the emphasis is at. All right. Submit to your husbands, your spouse. Notice it says your husband. Not to submit to any old husband, any old where, but your specific husband you're married to, all right? So we've got it down, right? It's to honor God. It's my spouse. It's when I'm married. Now, some of you are like, hang on, I'm not even married. All right, so do do this for me, all right? You, If you're a woman of any age, raise your hand. If you're a woman of any age, raise your hand. All right. This message is for you, okay? So this is the, I might be headed here, I might already be here, this is for you. For those who didn't raise your hand, your job is to make sure that you support and enable and, and give them a help that they can do this. Don't make it hard, don't make it problematic. That means kids, husbands, that's our job, alright? So here we go. Wives, this is the call. Submit to your husbands. Oh great, there's that nasty yes word. Right? Isn't that the first thing we thought when you read it? Okay, so we got a problem with that submit word because culturally it actually has taken on some very negative connotations and we have to be careful with it. It is not negative when you look at it biblically, but it is negative when you look at it culturally. Culturally it's like stripped of all rights and privileges, never get the chance to speak, right? That's not what the word means. So let's be really careful with it, all right? When submission is raised up here, it's speaking of an order to the running of things, And it's saying the husband, in effect, has to respond to God as being in charge of the home. He has the responsibility. So now let's make sure he also has some of the authority. All right? We have to be really careful that if he has to answer for it, then we can't be undermining it along the way. You see that? All right. So that's the first step. You're like, that doesn't really help me. I still don't like the word. Okay. Well, let's just get a little clearer with it. All right? Is this maybe just cultural? Maybe Paul's whacked. I mean, maybe it was just at that time and we need to throw it out. Maybe that's what's going on. Is there any other passages anywhere that teaches to this concept where we should see it as, no, it's theologically true, it's timeless? Well, actually, 1 Corinthians 11.3 does start to speak to headship in a timeless fashion. It says, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. You see, all of a sudden we're seeing headship starting to be discussed not as cultural, but as related to Christ himself and Christ's relationship to God, it's timeless. That's the best way you know, by the way, when you're reading scripture, how do I know if it's cultural or if it's timeless? If it starts being tied to something that is always true, 
that hangs true forever, well, then we know that he's starting to say this is timeless. If it starts to say it's something related to a cultural moment, hey, Timothy, start drinking some wine. It'll help that bug in the stomach. See, are you hearing the... There's a cultural element. They had some disease problems going on, man. Drink something that's going to help you a little better. Stop drinking that poison water stuff, okay? So just be careful. There's things that are timeless. There's things that are actually cultural. This is timeless. We see it reflected in other passages, like I said, 1 Corinthians 11.3. Well, you still haven't helped me with the word, Tim. Give me a better way to understand it. All right, let's just throw a practical out there for submit, all right? So we got some slides here. Let's throw one of these slides up. So here's the first step in submission. Transparently pray and talk through the situation together. This is like husbands and wives have a chance to sit down and chat and talk through it. This is the definition of submission. Just making sure you're chatting with each other. Remember, we're taking on the whole counsel of God. And so submission is not going to avoid things like oneness. There's a unity between the two of you. And God's brought you together. Maybe here's another thing it reflects. You look at Genesis 1 through 3. And we actually are told very clearly there that God created man and he went, it's good. And then he created man and woman and he said, no, that's very good. There's something about that. The joint togetherness of man and woman is essential. This does not become, it's all about the guy. It is better for the two to be together, working together in unity. So the first thing is be praying together and talking together about where you're headed, where you agree. That's like picture a big circle that's hers and a big circle that's yours and where it overlaps and you have this consensus, like lead towards that end. And guys, that's your job is to find the unity in the midst of it. So the first step is really, God, what are you leading us to? And as we pray, where are we headed together? That's the first step. Well, what happens if we don't agree? Second step. Go ahead and throw the next slide. If you disagree, we'll take a deep breath and pray a little bit more and talk again and discuss the values of what's going on and, and making sure you really understand what's happening. This is a big deal. The taking time to talk and re-talk, to share and understand, to grasp where each other's at. Discussing those values. So now you've talked, you've re-talked, you've prayed, you've re-prayed. We still disagree. Now what? Well, here's where it actually stops being kind of the interactive and it starts to go into the actual submission piece. Okay, step three. So if you still disagree, well then make sure he's not asking for sin, right? If the husband's saying things, you know, the plan here, hon, is we need a little bit of money. And I'm telling you, knock off the bank down the street and we're better off. Now do what I say. Like that's a moment where you're allowed to go, I don't think so. Right? As is fitting to the Lord is the end result. So if he's calling you to sin, it's done. Okay? But if he's not, and the two of you have talked it out, and you've worked it through, and you've found where things overlap and where things don't, and yet he still stands in this position, well, then it's time to let him lead. Okay? That's a time to bend. Now, as soon as I say that, I want to throw this on there. Be careful, guys. If this is the trump card you throw every day of the week... And you're doing this more than, I'm going to throw this out, more than once or twice a year, this is what you throw out. we got a problem. You're not leading towards oneness and unity. You're leading towards, it's always about you. And it's time to start celebrating more of the oneness, looking for the consensus. But there are times where God does call you to lead, and you might see something that needs to be done, and you need to step up to do that. Be careful, do it gently, talk it through and pray it through. But this is that moment, that third step, where ladies... The job is to say, okay, as is fitting to the Lord, I'm bending now. All right? 
Does everybody understand that? It's a vocal time. Does everybody understand that? Okay, so it's a big deal, okay? Because submission does not mean lose all rights. It means, for the most part, talking through everything and coming to great agreements and deciding on everything together what's going on. But there are times where you disagree strongly on something and God's leading the husband. Husband does need to be able to step up. Let him do that. God's holding him accountable, okay? Enough said. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands. All right, how many guys do we have in here? Raise your hand. Don't just raise it. Give me a fist. Power to the people, right? Guys, your job is to lead with power, all right? So guys, all right? All right. Husbands, this is for you. For those who didn't raise their hand, your job is to help them do this by coming alongside and supporting them, making it an easier role. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Okay, love. I'm just going to say it this way. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Your assignment this week, guys, is to go to that passage and contemplate it. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, it defines what love is, step by step, character by character, attribute by attribute. Is this who I am with my wife? Ephesians 5 talks about your love as being just like Christ loved the church, sacrificial, laid out completely for them, not saying once they get in line, right? I'm sorry, but I didn't see that submission thing. I'll give you a little bit of cherishing once I see the submission. That's not what it says. In fact, Ephesians 5 talks about as Christ loved the church and we know God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Husbands, lead the way. Sacrificially, laying it out, giving a sense of security in that home, cherishing with all you've got. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. We can lead in a way that ends up making people feel afraid. We can lead in a way that makes people feel hurt or disrespected. We can lead in a way that makes people feel smaller. Hey, these are sensitive topics right now. There are a lot of hurting marriages in this community. There are hurting marriages in this church. And we need to be very careful how we handle this passage, okay? It's very easy to flip something at somebody else and say, you should do this. But our job is to actually take the assignment ourselves. Husbands, hear me on this. I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox here. Husbands, guys, are you listening? Husbands, it is your job to set the tone in the home. Love your wife with all you've got. Show who Christ is. Be close to him. Get to know him, your almighty God, and then bring it to the family. The theological unit of the family absolutely starts with you showing the awesome love of God Almighty. Husbands, love your wives. Amen? You love, you'll be amazed what you see happening in them as they blossom. All right? Well, I'm telling you, we try this love and respect thing. And we keep falling into fights. It just blows up. And I'm just going to use this little phrase. It's uh, called the death spiral. Okay? And so basically what happens is, ladies, actually, as you're cherished, as you are loved, you actually blossom out. And it becomes much more easy for you to respect and care. And then husbands, as you're respected, 
it becomes a little easier to cherish and love. And, and the thing just feeds on itself and it becomes this great relationship of loving and respecting. And, and actually it's interesting if you look, Ephesians 5.33 says that women are called to respect. And here in Colossians called to submit. Men are called to love and to cherish and to sacrifice. Why? Well, because we get the respect thing, guys. That we live and breathe. He's calling us to do the stuff that maybe comes a little bit unnatural and you better get on it because it's a big part of who God's character is. Loving with all you've got. The other part of that love and respect thing is once somebody stops, you tend to want to start pulling back on the other side. So I'm not getting enough respect. Pulling back a little love then. I'm going to be a little bit more harsh with you. We'll see if the respect comes then. Does that work? Yeah, usually not. That's when the respect starts coming down even more and you're like, fine. Then I up the ante again. Pull a little bit more love off. Can you see a death spiraling? This is what happens. Okay? And we get into roles where we're hurting each other by not loving, not respecting. There's a book out called Love and Respect. Great book that goes through and evaluates it on different fronts. If you want to read through something like that, it it takes you back to Ephesians 5 over and over. Powerful book. Okay? Well... Tim, it seems like we're going well and then everything blows up. Is it normal and natural that it blows up that fast? Uh, yeah, unfortunately it is. And so we need to be on it all the time, prayerfully and humbly and asking for apology, okay? Do you have an illustration of something where it kind of blew up fast? Yeah, unfortunately I do. Okay, so let me just go back. I'm going to go back to when my wife and I were um, engaged. And this story is going to end up with Jonna in a police car and me being talked to by the police. So get ready. Okay, so we're talking and uh, we're, you know, doing those wedding plans. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you know how easy that is, right? And so we're making decisions as we go. And as we're making these decisions and talking, it wasn't quite, we weren't quite agreeing on a few of the things. Most of it we were, but we had a couple of little things that were tough financially and we're trying to figure some stuff out and it got a little heated and so we went off to uh, the high school parking lot which is a couple blocks from my parents house where I was staying at the moment and um, so we go into the high school parking lot now my high school is big it was like 6,000 students so it's a massive parking lot so we go into this huge parking lot go way to the back where it's dark and we start talking you know what I'm saying? And so we're working it out and we're chatting and discussing and we're hurt at the same time and I'm not feeling the respect and so I'm pulling off on the love a little bit and raising up the harshness and, and while we're headed towards a marriage and we're excited about it, it's collapsing quickly. And, and it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets harsher and it gets harsher and Donna gets hurt and she starts to cry and, and says, this, I'm done. Like I can't talk right now. And so I kept talking. That's not a bad plan until it doesn't work at all. And then I quit on it. I'm like, this isn't going. And she says, Tim, I just got to get out of the car and walk home. It's only two blocks from my parents' house. I'm going to walk and just kind of think this thing off. So she steps out of the car and I'm like, all right, I guess I'll do that. I'll just hang here. And and so I watch her walk out of the parking lot and she gets to the front of the parking lot and she turns and she comes out. Now this is a dark parking lot and she walks out crying. And a police officer sitting there sees her, and all of a sudden I see the lights go on. Boop! And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. He comes over to her, and of course he's thinking, did she just get beat up? Did she just, you know, something worse? Like, what's going on? And, and so he's asking her, hon, are you okay? And talking through things with her, and it's all right, I just have a jerk of a fiancé, you know. <laughs> right? 
And, and so they talk things out a little bit and, and he says, well, hop in the car. I'll take you to the house where you're going. I don't want you to walk. Okay. And, and so he drives her home. Well, I, meanwhile, I'm sitting at the house waiting. I've gotten back there with the car and I'm sitting on the, at the car waiting and, and up comes the police car. I'm like, no, police car pulls up and stops. They get out. He, he comes up. She comes up. She kind of walks past and he says, can I talk to you for a second? Uh, sure. He says, son, never let your fiance walk through a dark parking lot like that again, ever. Do you understand me? Yeah, I understand. But she was, no, that ain't going to go, right? I understand. He goes, please, seriously, I don't know how bad it is and what you guys have to talk through. Work it out. It seems like you two care about each other a lot. Fix it, okay? And don't leave her alone like that. Do you understand? Yes, sir, I understand. All right. I'm going to take off. No more fighting, right? Got it. So he drives away and I go in. Of course, my parents are like, was that a police car? (laughs) Look, no matter where you're at in getting along, it can death spiral fast. And you've got to work it through. How did we get through that then? We're like, well, whatever. I'll just blow it off. We'll just start treating it well from now on. No. We had to have the apology moment where we go toe to toe, look each other in the eye, and I say, I'm sorry. I wasn't hearing you. Can you please forgive me? And Likewise from her. And we had to walk it through and give each other hugs and get through it. Put that aside. Make it a goal that we're not going to be there again. And then we try hard to make that next step with the Lord at the center of it that he might be honored. Does everybody understand? Love and respect. It's everything in your marriage. You go after these two things. It's going to be amazing the health and the life that you get in your marriage. And husbands and wives say... That was a weak amen. And husbands and wives say, yeah, let's bring it. Like, this is our job. You want to show your kids that God is real? You show the love of Jesus Christ, husbands. And you'll be amazed at that cherishing in the home and the respect that comes out of it. I'm going to call you up, guys. Start it. Don't give me the, she's not doing this, so I won't. Guys, we lead. Just as Christ, even before we were out of sin, stepped out. That's our job. Amen, guys? All right, enough said. So the question, are you ready to lead in a way where your family sees the love and the respect of Jesus Christ in your home? That's number one for valuing the family. Number two, children and parents reflect the order and balance we see in our great God. Children and parents reflect the order and balance we see in our great God. All right. Notice it says, children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, all right, so everybody under 18, raise your hand. Everybody under 18, go ahead. Front row, raise your hand. Here we go. Everybody under 18, raise your hand. All right, so this is for you guys. Now, for those of you who aren't in that boat, hang on. You're coming. All right? So this is for you guys. Notice it says, children, obey your parents in, well, most things. Is that what it says? No, children obey your parents in in all, in everything, all right? So, obey, what's that word mean? It means do what you're asked, okay? When asked, you do it. But it means more than that, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. We're going to define it. Please note that it does say in everything. Why? Why should we do that? To make sure that the parents are happy. Please, your people that you're supposed to please are your parents. Is that what it says? Who does it say it's pleasing? The Lord, you're doing this 
as unto God. All right? As you obey, you're doing this that God might be glorified. This is a huge deal. Well, what's obeying look like? Okay, so four steps to obedience. Here we go. You ready? First step. It's in all. It's in everything. Right? So there's four A's to this, to obedience. Parents, it's good for you to know this because you're going to need to lead towards it. Kids, make sure you write this down well. Okay? So all. It's like whenever they ask, this is not obedience. Hey, will you do this for me, please? Let me think. Yeah, I guess I'm willing to do that one. That's not obedience. It's because God is in charge and because he's placed you in authority over me. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Sure. I hear you. That's it. Okay. It's in all. Second, it's with agreement. Okay. It's with agreement. That means like you're actually saying yes or no. Uh, have you ever said something like, hey, could you please do this? And the person like just walks out of the room. You're like, do they get it? Like, I don't even know what they're doing. Could you please go clean your room? They walk out. Are they cleaning their room? Are they in defiance right now? Like, I don't even know where we're at. Just give a little bit of agreement. This really works well. This isn't just with parent, with children and, and uh, parents. This isn't just, like, this works all the time. When you're talking to someone and you agree with them, tell them. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like, I'm not saying it has to be some formal thing, right? The growing kids God's way statement. Yes, mommy, right away. You don't have to do that. It's not like there has to be this little ritualistic quote. But it is sort of letting them know. I, I hear you. Can you let the dog out? Sure. Just give them something, even a hand wave, so they know that that you heard them, okay? Let them know. Agreement, okay? So number one is all. Number two is agreement. Number three is action. Immediate action. Can you let the dog out? Remote control. Changing channels. Hello? Can you let the dog out? I'll get to it. Holy cow, is that obedience? Like, no, okay? And, and so it really does come down to, can you let the dog out? Yeah, sure, okay. And you stand up, and you go to let the dog out. And, and if there's something you can't do, like I'm really, I'm in the middle of something that I must, I cannot break from, then it really becomes this, can you let the dog out? And can it be in just a second? I just have to finish this, is that okay? Sure, okay, right after you finish that then. Are you hearing the interaction and the agreement, the willingness? Like, this is a big deal. This is practical obedience, okay? So it's in everything. It's with agreement. It's with immediate action, or at least relatively close to immediate action. And last, it's with attitude. Proper attitude. This is a joyfully. This is like inside and out. This is not obedience, okay? Hey, will you let the dog out? Fine, I'll let the dog out. Stupid dog. Get outside. Slam the door and walk you're going to let them back in? Oh, whatever. Fine. Right? Is that obedience? That's, is that obedience? Thank you. That is not obedience, all right? So it's with attitude that says, I get it, God. I understand what's going on. And, and parents, we need to lead to this end. This isn't something that kids are born with where they wake up and they're like, the four A's of obedience. Let's do it. This is something we need to be saying. This is what we're looking for. This is what it looks like in a healthy home. And we're going to go after it together. Everybody in with me? And their first answer is like, seriously? Yeah, seriously. This is where we're going. Begin to shape it and train it. Work through for these four A's in obedience, all right? It's a big deal. You'll be amazed at the happiness in the home when you start putting some order to that which God values in the family, all right? So the four steps to obedience. All and in agreement, 
with action that's immediate and with attitudes that are showing the honor. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to say, God Almighty, you have died for me on the cross at Calvary. You're kidding me. I'm in awe of you. You have my attention, Lord, and I'm doing whatever you want. And through you, you're leading me through my parents. And I'm going to listen. What do you want done that I might grow and that I might know you and serve you? That's what it looks like. Not to be loved, but because you are loved. It's pleasing to the Lord. All right? Now notice it says after that, fathers. I'll tell you, this is in the masculine form, okay? But actually, when you see a plural collective in the masculine form, it can also mean that there's masculine and feminine collected together. So it might actually be very appropriate for this to say, parents. Parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke lest they become discouraged. What's the word provoke mean? It basically means you're like poking them. It takes on this metaphor of you seemingly are constantly doing this to them. And you're poking and you're poking and you're poking until they finally get into another state. And a bad state at that. Okay? Don't be provoking. We're going to talk about the provoking in a little more detail in just a second. Notice it says don't provoke them because something's going to happen. They're going to end up in another state of mind. What is that state of mind? Lest they be discouraged. You're going to know when you're provoking your kids because you're going to see them walking around with the weight of the world on their shoulders. There's something going on where they seem to be down. It's not possible to make these people happy. right? It's provoking them. I don't get what they're asking for. So what's provoking look like? Let's just put it this way. It's excess. It's either excessively rule-oriented, too many rules, too tight, or it's excessively permissive. Either way, you're provoking, okay? So excessively tight or excessively permissive. That's what provoking means. It's like too many rules, you're freaking them out. Every time they turn around, there's another rule for them. It's constantly rules, rules, rules. And and trust me, kids, just so you know, When we're raising up little ones, twos, and three-year-olds, we get used to rules, rules, rules. Because we need to teach that way. It's basically, no, 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 don't touch that. Come over here. We'll stay away from that. And we'll, and so we get used to it. And all of a sudden we're raising our 10 and 11 year old, like they're three, right? No, 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 nope. Don't do that. Nope. Nope. And all of a sudden they're like, whatever. I don't, I can't do anything without pleasing you. That's where we have to be careful. Provoking is an excessive amount of rules. Or an excessive amount of permissiveness. There's no rules. It's like they don't even care about me at all. Both ways, there's extreme discouragement that comes into that home within the kids. So think about it for a second, parents. Too many rules in your home or too few? There's a sweet spot. It's not like there's the one right number. There's a sweet spot in a general range that you want to hit. But are you too firm or are you too loose or are you kind of hitting the middle spot? You'll know if your kids are... In that fully discouraged mode, there's something going on that's too heavy or too light. All right? All right. Parents, why in the world would we choose to be provoking? Why would we go that route? Well, I'll tell you, it's because at some level we let it become about us. And so let's just walk. Parents, get ready. Get your pen ready. This is the five things that we make as idols that make us provoke our kids. All right? So here we go. Number one. The idol of comfort. The idol of comfort. This is, uh, I've worked a long, hard day. I don't want to have to deal with your problems. Make it quiet in this home. 
please go to your rooms or whatever you need to do, but I am done. Okay? So we basically said, it's all about me and it's all about my comfort. And you, how many times have you heard me say up here, it's not about our comfort, it's about our king. Okay? And so make sure that you are in that home raising them theologically. Hey, save a little bit of energy for when you come home, guys. You hearing me? Save a little bit of energy so you can parent when you get into that house. It's not about your comfort. It's about your king. Don't get me wrong. It's not all about the kids. That flips it upside down. But at the same time, it's not just us in our lazy boy chair. Comfort. Number two, respect. Don't you ever talk back to me because I, right? And all of a sudden we put ourselves on the throne. It's all about how you treat me that's important. And that's when I start cracking the rules down even tighter. All right? Comfort, respect, third, appreciation. This is usually when you go permissive. I want them to love me. I want my boy to want to go out with me for breakfast. So I never give him any rules that he'd be upset about because I don't want him to be mad at me. I want him to appreciate me. Are you hearing it? And all of a sudden, because we want to be appreciated by the child, we aren't worrying about pleasing the Lord and what needs to be called out there. And there's sometimes where we need to say, "Uh uh-uh, this needs to be addressed I'm more interested in God being honored in this home. Are you hearing the God story in it? God's got a plan. God's got a picture. What's it look like to honor him? Not you've got a plan. You've got a picture. How can I make you happy? Are you hearing it? That's when you get the child-centered home. God's got a plan. God's got a picture. How can you be honored, Lord? So comfort, respect, appreciation, fourth, success. I want people to see our home... As a home, the Harkness home doesn't do such a, right? Like, I want people to think in the neighborhood about how great we are when, be careful, if you're trying to vicariously succeed through your child, you're going to make some rules that are really too tough. Be cautious with them. Comfort, respect, appreciation, success, and then the last one is control. Uh, I just want it done my way, thank you. I don't care if it's right or wrong, do it the way I want it. And all of a sudden, rule, rule, rule. Okay? These are things that lead us to it. I got these right out of the book of Age of Opportunity, Paul Tripp. Fantastic book if you want to read there. Um, That's how we provoke, all right? Healthy boundaries make healthy families that make for healthy joy. That's what it looks like. Healthy boundaries, healthy family, healthy joy. May we interact together with healthy obedience and a healthy set of rules. Do you have an example of this uh, provoking thing, Tim? Yes. Yes, I do. So, okay. So Megan was uh, our daughter. She was 10. She was going to be 11. And uh, we learned the whole idea of a release plan, okay? You're going to hear us talk a lot about release plans when we talk parenting. John and I firmly believe in this. It's taking a child from the age of 10 to 18, and you're trying to release them at age 18 into the world as a young adult who can manage themselves. Not a moron who you've held tight for for their whole 18 years, and the moment you get away from them, they can't handle a doggone thing. And so we ruled the living snot out of them, and then at 18, we're like, good luck at college. It's going to be a mess. Like, that's not parenting, all right? Parenting, it's like easing them up along the way, giving them more and more opportunity to succeed, releasing them towards success so that at 18, they're getting what it looks like to interact in this world as an adult, all right? The release plan. So at age 10 with Megan, uh, she was going to be age 11 that summer, and uh, yeah, we hadn't done much with the release plan with her. And we were starting to notice in her this discouragement. 
she was getting more snippy. She was getting more smart alecky. She was just having a hard time that summer with us as parents leading her. And it was showing in her demeanor and in her obedience. And we're like, what up? What's with that behavior, you know? And so, of course, we're like, what's with her? And, and then as we started talking about it more, we started realizing, you know, actually, a lot of her friends have some freedoms that she doesn't have. And one of them that was really bothering her is they were allowed to go down to the pool that was just a couple blocks away by themselves and check themselves into the pool. We wouldn't let her cross the street right now. Our street was very busy, 45, 50 mile an hour cars going through there. We're like, we're not really thinking that's a good plan. And, and we realized we really weren't being fair to her considering what she could handle. And so... We sat her down one day and said, look, because you're becoming 11 this summer, what we're going to do is we're going to show you how to cross the street, where to watch for the cars. They watch from over here. They're ding-dongs. They go really fast coming from here. And, and we talked it through and then said, you're, you're free to be more mature. Now, your, your younger sister is not. She's going to be hanging back with us. But you can go over to the pool. You can go across the street and hang with friends over there on the other side of the busy street. And, and all of a sudden, this girl was like, I mean, picture the little 10-year-old, was like, I'm growing up. You know what I mean? And her entire demeanor around us changed. She became a completely different person. We're like, hey, could you help us out? Could you take the dog out back? Sure. Could you take this? Absolutely. Anything we were asking. She's like, I get that I have respect in this home and that I'm being honored. Absolutely. You know what we did? We took our rules and we shaved them down just a little bit. We were provoking her and we were getting some discouragement. And just easing up a little bit and letting her basically live an honoring life worked out now i just i'll tell you this the whole release plan also goes this way and when you abuse it it gets a little tighter okay that's part of the release plan is you got to earn it and get it and as you get it you get a little more and when you don't get it we bring it back down and we start working on it again all right be releasing your kids to age 18 shane would appreciate it it'll make high school living a little bit easier all right Be releasing your kids to age 18. Help them to learn and think through things. Be making wise decisions. Don't be too permissive. You'll get a train wreck. Don't be too tight. You'll get a complete obliteration of their soul. That's what it means to provoke and to be hard on them. All right? So is that clear, parents? Yes. All right. So we've got husbands and wives. We've got children and parents. Let me just ask you this, children. And parents, we're all children of somebody, okay? So be thinking of it this way. What can I do to be making sure my parents are honored in how I listen to them? Now, as we get older and we have our own homes, the obedience thing needs to come down. Parents that are 70 years old and telling us how to run our 45-year-old home, there's a provoking thing going on there, okay? And we got to talk that out too, but it's for a different time. Just know this, kids. Be listening to what your parents have to say. It's all in with the right attitude going after it. What do you need to be listening to your parents more in? Where have you been blowing them off? And parents, how are you doing with the rules in the home? Are you provoking? Does it need to tighten up? Or does it need to loosen up? How do I know? Well, take a look at the attitude of your child. If you're getting a ton of attitude, it needs to go one direction or the other. Okay? So you figure that out. Well, I'm not even sure I know how to figure it out. Well, then let me throw this out. Uh, there's a, a, a um, meeting coming up here, March 16th and 17th, called Getting to the Heart of Parenting. Uh, it's actually going to be running over at Bethany Baptist. 
uh, but they're opening it up to the community, getting to the heart of the, of the parenting. And uh, this is run by Paul Tripp, you know, the guy who wrote Age of Opportunity that I was just quoting from, okay? This could be a great thing to go to. It's like 10 bucks an adult, 5 bucks for kids. They do have childcare built in. So you can sign up online if you want to do that. Uh, I'm not sure if they appreciate it. I'm throwing 1,000 people at them, but here you go. <laughs> so... Getting to the heart of parenting. Consider it. It's a great one to hear from Paul Tripp on. If you don't want to do that, you certainly can grab the book, Age of Opportunity, for those 10 and up, Shepherding a Child's Heart for those 0 to 10. All right? So those are two great books and great uh, material to walk through. Parenting. It will set the tone for the theological purpose of the family. Okay? Let's grab onto it with all we've got. All right. So that's husbands and wives. That's children and parents. Now, employees and employers. Reflect the dedication and justice we see in our great God. Employees and employers, reflect the dedication and justice we see in our great God. That's the third point, all right? So let me read here. Uh, slaves, hang on, I thought you said employee. We'll get to that in a second. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. All right, so slaves, let me just talk about this for a second. Slaves, this is... Um, a word that we have to really carefully understand in the word, in the Bible, okay? This is a lot of times where we read it and we're like, I knew this Bible was archaic. Does it even apply to anything? I mean, come on, slaves, you got to be joking. Let me talk it through a little bit, all right? So the word literally means bond slave. It means you own nothing. You actually are owing everything to a person around you, okay? That's what the word literally means. But let's talk about it for a second. Nowhere, first of all, about slavery, nowhere does the Bible universally condemn slavery, Nowhere does it actually universally condemn slavery. In fact, there are some laws about how to handle slaves. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean God doesn't even get it? He's like a total tyrant? And Well, let me throw this out, though. Gaza and Tyre, these are two cities, they were denounced in the book of Amos for colonial slavery. Well, what's that? That's where you go off to another nation, you grab the people, you take them captive, you take them back to your place, and you make them work for you for the rest of your life, you own them like a possession. That's colonial slavery. And that Gaza was actually like, you're going to be destroyed for it, dude. I'm just telling you it's done. That's God speaking to him. Okay? You're abusing people around you. So colonial slavery, there's a problem with. Well, what's the difference then between biblical slavery and colonial slavery? All right, let's talk through that for a second. So let's think about American history first of all. What type of slavery do you think it is? Does it sound like colonial slavery? Like we went to another nation, we grab some people, we bring them home, we own them, and we abuse them. That's colonial slavery, spoken ill of in Scripture, okay? So know that. It's not where God stands, okay? The American slavery was words like abusive. Uh, treats these people like they're dumb and need an owner. Purchasing people for yourself. Uh, no one wants to be that kind of slave. Right? Do you picture a guy in Africa going, I don't know, I'm considering what it means to raise a family here in Africa. I'm thinking I might do the six-week trip over on a boat over to that America and become a slave over there. That's got a nice gig to it. Like somebody else is worrying about all the details, and I just do what they say. Is that what was going on? Is that what was going on? No way, right? Slavery. It's not American-type slavery. It was not desired. It was deeply disrespectful, all right? Biblical slavery. A couple things you need to know about that word. First of all, you could not tell the difference between a slave and his master. They could live side by side, home by home. Socioeconomically, they may have lived in the same strata. In fact, a slave may have been above a master as far as wealth. Okay? So know that. You couldn't tell the difference. 
Second of all, slaves were treated like regular people. They got holidays, they got breaks, just like everybody else. Slavery was treated as an option of employment and selected by many. It worked like this. I don't own a farm. I owe some debt. There's some things I need to get accomplished. I don't own anything in and around that. So what I'm going to do is come up to this guy and go, hey, can you do me a favor? I'll work for you. And you go ahead and you take care of the debt around me. And as long as that has to last, it has to last. I'll be your slave. Okay? It was an employment type method that was deployed. People went because they wanted to. In fact, scripture talked about it in praise. And then in Deuteronomy 15 talks about the year of Jubilee. It says in the 50th year, you know, after seven sevens, then all debt would be released. All slaves would be released. And more than that, they wouldn't just release their slaves, the ones who were indebted to them, but they would have to give them property and send them out so that they would not become a slave again. Okay. Slavery, it was a way of managing employment at that time. It had deep respect to it. But it also had debt to it, all right? It's a lot like employer-employee relationships today, which is why I use the employee and employer statements there, all right? So the Bible's plan to handle slavery was one heart at a time. Speaking to that type of slavery was to handle it one heart at a time, gospel message. Let's make sure there's no abuse, but there's still great treatment within it, and people are getting ahead. It's working. So that's what the Bible was doing with the slavery. Does, that un- Does everybody understand that? You get that? This is not saying that this was some sort of God agrees with the abusive things that happened in the 1800s in America. No. Okay? But it is saying that there's some agreements that were going on employment-wise, and that was working it out. If you want an example, Philemon 1.16. Paul sending Onesimus back home to Philemon, and he says, I'm sending him back not as a slave, but as a brother. Not for a short time, but for forever. Note this. You start working with the one who's indebted to you as your brother in Christ, it's going to change how you treat him. That's the gospel plan for handling the biblical slavery that was going on. All right? All right, enough said about slaves. Slave, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Obey in everything. This phrase is actually the same as what was used for children. Obey in everything. Kids are like, I knew I was a slave. (laughs) Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. There are a lot of earthly masters we might have along the days, a lot of employers, but we have one spiritual master, Jesus Christ, all right? Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Like, not just as a show when they're looking, don't just work hard when they're looking, but work hard all the time. Work hard for God Almighty, not just for the person around you who's checking you out every once in a while, but for God himself. Work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, that God might be respected. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Work heartily, knowing he gives the inheritance. God, I'm working for you. What do you want done today? Where do you want me to go? How hard do you want me to work? And in what way do you want me to work? That you might be given the honor and the glory. As you go to your employer and you work tomorrow... Work heartily, with sincerity, not because your employer is looking, but because you're honoring God and who you are and who he is in your life. Not to be loved, but because you are loved. Notice he says then, you are serving the Lord Christ. He is king. Jesus Christ is king. He is king. Go ahead and say it with me. He is king. Say it even louder. He is king. Hey, you just got all of what this passage is about. 
He is king. Not me, not my child, not anybody else. God Almighty, Lord Jesus Christ, you are king in my life. And everything I do is going to be because of your amazing love for me, because of your sacrifice for me, because of all that you've done on the cross of Calvary, all that you've done for a future with you that will last for all of eternity. You, you have my attention. I'm serving you heartily and with sincerity. And anybody you put over me, I'm listening as they're from you. That God might get the glory. That's exactly what this passage is capturing. Notice he says, why? Because wrongdoers will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. God does not look and go, ah, I'll change the rules for you. It's the same for all of us. Come through Jesus Christ, him crucified. And you've got amazing opportunity for salvation. He says in the end, masters or employers, hey, those of you who own companies, those of you who have people that work for you, treat your people justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Justly, that's reasonable, considering all the details. That's what justly means. Reasonable, considering all the details. Not permissive, but reasonable. Fairly, no bias. Treat them all the same. Let them earn where they're at and give God the glory. It's what it looks like to be an employer and employee relationship. It's what it looks like to be a child and parent, a husband and wife. Hey, the family unit is where our king can be honored and glorified. Where our king can be worshipped. We literally can live it out in a way that says, I have a God and a gospel that has changed my life. And not because I want to be loved, but because I am loved. I am going to take care of my wife. I'm going to be honoring to my husband. I'm going to obey my parents. I'm not going to provoke my children. I'm going to work with my bosses. I'm not going to be too harsh or unjust with those who work for me. God, affect my daily life. May our family be impacted. That Jesus Christ might get the glory, our King. Amen? Amen. Hey, that's what we're talking about. Let's pray.